right, well, open up your Bible this morning to John chapter 6. Over the last four weeks, we've been studying God's Word to reinforce our faith so that when the storms of life hit, and the storms of life will hit, you're prepared for it. You can remain grounded and rooted upon Christ no matter what comes your way. We wanted to start this new year arming ourselves with the God's word, with faith, so that we can withstand every attempt the enemy may throw at us to dislodge us from following Christ. So I hope and pray that over the last three weeks your faith's been encouraged. Well, real quick for a recap, in case you've missed any of the series, the first week we uncovered that you're chosen. God sees value in you that you sometimes don't see in yourself, and God sees value in others we sometimes overlook. See, you're chosen by God because he believes you have what it takes to follow him. He believes that you can do what he has done. That's why Jesus said, when I leave, you'll do even greater things than I've done. See, God is calling people today through the Bible, God's calling people today through the Holy Spirit. God's calling people today to follow him through his followers as they extend an invitation to the world to follow Christ. The second week we discussed uh, the challenge of following God even when things don't make sense. There are going to be moments and seasons and times in life that you can't reconcile what's happening. There's going to be some moments in life where you're just going to throw your hands in the air. You're going to shake your head and not be able to make sense of it. But will you continue to follow God even in those moments? See, there was a period of time where Jesus amassed thousands of followers. But Jesus wouldn't fit into the mold that they made for him. They wanted Jesus to be this way. And Jesus said, but this is who I am. And this is what I've come to do. And within a moment after one of Jesus' teachings, hundreds, even thousands of followers abandoned him and stopped following. See, we need to remember that God's ways are not our ways. That God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God always answers prayer. But sometimes that prayer is not answered how we want him to answer it. God's thoughts are different than ours. Now, last week we discussed how faith and trust are inseparable. That you can't remove faith and trust from the equation. And when we remove trust apart from faith, faith becomes ineffective. See, forward progress will always be met by resistance and opposition. Whenever uh, you step out for God, whenever you make a fresh commitment to God, whenever you wake up in the morning, you're going to be met with resistance. But we grow stronger through resistance. When you, when you work out, you've got to have resistance on that weight bar in order for you to build muscle. In the same way with faith, we'll experience resistance. Uh, but that's why we're called to trust God and put our faith in him. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of Jesus' most prolific miracles. There's no other miracle in the Gospels of this magnitude written down. What I want you to see today is how our human limitations do not limit God. See, our limitations serve as an opportunity for his supernatural provision. See, there is never a problem or a circumstance that you encounter where God is not facing it with you. See, God allows us to get in situations that are over our head but are never over his. He wants to show you that he is your provider. So let's read this morning from John chapter 6. We're going to read through verses 1 through 13. And it says this. 
After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Uh, Jesus, not Philip. Philip has no clue. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. He also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now the feeding of the 5,000 in, uh, in our story here is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. This fact highlights the significance of what Jesus is trying to communicate to us through this miracle. You know, there's been a common theme throughout our series, which really needs to be imprinted on our mind or our spirit. And it's this, as a follower of Jesus, you're never alone. As a follower of Jesus, you may be alone in a room, but you're not alone. You're always, God is always with you. See, our emotions are deceiving and they can convince us through difficulty, through hardship, that God is not with us. But I'm here to tell you this morning, that's an impossibility. God can't want to not be with us. He can't even think about what would it be like to be separate from you. God said that he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise to you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. His, his promise to you is that nothing will separate his love from you. That's God's promise to you. He can't even want to do that. So it's an impossibility for him to not be with you as you go through life. See, your emotions will never change that truth. Your emotions or how you're feeling will never unravel that promise of God in your life. See, it's our responsibility to grow in faith so that we can live out that truth in every moment of every struggle of every season of every day. Now, the theme of being connected to God in our struggles is unmistakable in our text. Look at verse 5. Let's highlight verse 5 here this morning. Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus didn't say, where are you going to buy bread for all these people to eat? But he included himself in the problem to the solution. He includes himself. He saw Philip's uh, problem as his problem. And so Jesus comments, where are we, not you, going to buy bread? See, as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, your problems are his problems. 
He makes your problems a part of his life so that he can be a part of the solution to your problem. Jesus never excludes himself from our predicaments. So there's never a moment, there's never anything you or I will face where God's like, well, when you figure it out, I'll wait. I'll be over there and I'll just wait for you to figure this one out. No, he walks along with you because he wants to be a part of the solution. He involves himself in the solution process so that we never face an obstacle alone. Amen. That's all you need this morning. That should get you through the rest of this week. See, we learned from our text that Jesus asked Philip a question, but he already knew the answer to it. Isn't that weird? Why waste the words to ask someone? But it's because Jesus was testing his disciples. He was testing Philip. But know this, God's testing is never for evil, but it's to build up and reveal your faith. See, sometimes we just go through life and it can feel like we're going through the motions. We go to church on Sunday, we pray, we read God's word, we give, we share, uh, we go to church on Wednesday and we just, we go through this routine and sometimes God needs to stop us, put an obstacle in front of us so that we can see how much we've grown. Jesus asks Philip the question because he's testing him. He wants to reveal and build up his faith. See, when you experience trials, they're never meant to destroy you, but to develop you. That's why James says in chapter one, count it all joys, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, in Response to Jesus' question, Philip begins to calculate the cost involved in feeding all these people. And he determines very quickly, even if they had eight months of salary set aside, that that wouldn't even be enough to buy bread for everyone just to have a bite set aside the cost factor in this, but consider in your mind first century living. There is not going to be a baker nearby that would have enough bread on a whim to feed all of these people. So all of these factors add to the hopelessness of the situation. Like there's no way in Philip's mind this is even possible. Even if we had the money, uh, we couldn't find someone nearby to get all the food here to feed these people. There's no way of doing this. Then Andrew, on the other hand, Peter's brother, we don't know how, how much alike these two brothers are, but he takes a little different approach and he begins to survey the crowd. So he goes out among the 5, 10, 15,000 people and he's looking and he comes back after taking some small child's lunch. Isn't that great? Have you ever read it like that? But he like sees a child with just some bread and a few fish and he takes it from him. And he says, Jesus, look what I found. Where'd you get that? From that little kid? You bully. Maybe Andrew was a lot like Peter, just on the opposite side of that spectrum. But here he finds some barley loaves and some fish from a small child. And that explains to us something important about the bread and the fish. It's not a lot. Like you eat a little more than your children, right? 
Like, like what satisfies them is not going to satisfy you. And so this is all that he has, and he brings it to Jesus. And I don't think he was bringing it to Jesus to say, okay, now let's do something with this. Come on, Chef Boyardee, let's whip something up and feed the crowds. I don't think Andrew's point was to, to do that. I think Andrew's saying, there is no way we're going to feed these people. After going out and surveying the crowds, this is all we have to share. This is all we have. See, barley loaves were the bread of the poor. Barley was a rough grain that was used primarily by the poor, whereas the preferred grain was wheat. So these facts continue to compile the hopelessness of finding a solution to feed all these people. What the disciples are seeing in this test is that they have little ability to accomplish what Jesus has asked them to do. Jesus says, where can we find bread so that we can feed all these people? And every turn, every corner, every uh, opportunity or solution they come up with, they realize it's insufficient. We can't do this on our own. But know this, whatever God asks you to do, he will supply you with the means to do it. Whenever God asks you to do something, he's testing you because he wants you to see that if you apply faith, you can do uh, what he's asked you to do. But what he's asked you to do, he'll always equip you or provide for you to get the job done. See, the Bible is filled with moments like this. Remember Moses, when God told him, go speak to Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh, demand Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, I, I have a stuttering problem Sudden, suddenly. And he didn't feel like he, could, he wasn't confident enough. But God told him, you go and I'll give you the words to speak. See, God will supply you with what you need to do the job that he's called you to do. Now think of Abraham, who was an older man, and he couldn't understand when God promised that he was going to be the father of many people. So many people, it would be too numerous to count. And he's, he couldn't understand how that was going to happen, but God provided. See, the disciples are about to participate in a miracle that they can't explain, much less understand. So here's the thing. They took the very little, the insufficient amount, the, the impossible amount that they had, and they placed it into Jesus' hands. See, it's Jesus' hands that can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than what they could do on their own. See, if you only take away one thing from this morning's message, it's this. God will multiply what you put into his hands. The little that you have, the insignificant talent or ability or time that you have, when you put it into God's hands, God multiplies it. It's addition through submission. And so when we choose to submit what we have, who we are, and give it to God, God can do far greater and more with it than we can do on our own. Listen to some of these scriptures this morning that emphasize or highlight this truth. Uh, Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Whenever you put what you have, your time, your resources financially, your talents, uh, when you put your trust in God, when you put mercy and grace, whenever you give to him, he will measure it back to you in more ways than one. Uh, look at Psalm 37 verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will do it. 
See, when you dedicate your way, yourself to God, trusting his path, remember, man makes plans, but God orders his step. When you trust God, he will lead you. He will accomplish through you what you might not otherwise be able to do on your own. Why? Because I committed my ways to God. I said, God, here's my plans. God, here's what I want to see done this year. When we give it to him, God makes it come to pass. Look at 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, to delight yourself in God is to find satisfaction in him and his words. See, this is the act of submitting our lives to God. And when we do that, he gives us the desires of our heart. See, this is where the purification process comes through. Because there are some things you want from God, but God's like, I can't give that to you because it's not pure. It's not going to enrich your faith. It's not going to draw you closer to me. But when we give ourselves to God and we give our desires to God, God purifies those desires and gives us something that we weren't even thinking of, but it's so much better than what we wanted. Amen? So commit ourselves, give our work, give ourselves uh, to the Lord. When we submit ourselves, look at Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. When you take what you have and put it in God's hands, he will establish your plans. See, your plans will have a far greater impact when you put them into his hands than if you kept them in yours alone. See, God can do far more with the little we have and give him than what we can do on our own. See, I've seen this happen in people's lives. People who come from nothing, but because they commit themselves to God, God blesses them way beyond what they should. I've seen people who have no degrees, have no education experience, but rise up the ladder because God blesses them and opens doors that they couldn't open on their own. I read a a tweet this week that I thought was worth sharing with you. It says this. This is a really good one. God isn't looking for you to do something great. He's looking for you to believe that he'll do something greater than you ever imagined. Your feats don't impress God, but your faith does. God's not looking for you and I to build up our resume of these great works and these great deeds. God's looking for people who will put their faith in him to trust him to do great works and great deeds through them. See, there's a difference because in one uh, situation, I get the glory and in another situation, God gets the glory. See, everything, remember we said in this series, God does for his glory, he does for your good. See, as a Christian, that's our call, is to glorify God in everything that we do. Now, back to our text, we learn here that it said in uh, verse 10 that Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000. Now, this is kind of a side note to the message this morning, but I thought it was important enough for us to mention because that command parallels Psalm 23, verse 2 where it says, he makes me sit down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, listen, God is the one who sets the atmosphere for rest. How many of you have slept eight hours, but you woke up feeling more tired than when you went to sleep? How many times have you tried to get rest, but you, in all your work and effort, you're more tired, you're more exhausted than because God, God's the one who sets the atmosphere for rest. Sleep doesn't guarantee rest. If you've ever felt stress or anxiety about something, 
you understand that rest can be fleeting because only God can give us rest when life is more than we can handle. When life gives us more than we can bear, only God can provide an atmosphere where we can sit down and be at rest. Now the problem, as we've mentioned, the disciples are facing is beyond their ability. It's beyond what they can understand how to accomplish. It says in, our, in verse 10 that the number of 5,000 was just the men. But we know there was at least one young boy there because he got his lunch taken away from the bully Andrew. And there was likely women that were there participating because that was what was so revolutionary about Jesus and his teaching was that he invited all people to come. Hinder not the children to come unto me. Jesus taught women and that was such a taboo thing, but he was establishing a new kingdom, a different kingdom. And so here, the number is more likely fifteen to 20,000 people that are listening to Jesus teach. And this too amplified the need and made the dis- this situation even more hopeless. I don't know what the disciples were thinking after Jesus gives thanks for the f- a couple of loaves, five loaves and three small fish. And mind you, we're not talking about like King Salmon. We're talking about sardines. And remember, we're talking about dried fish. This bread and fish was probably meant for this young boy for all day. And that's all that they had. But I don't know what was going through their mind as Jesus begins to give thanks for these five small loaves and these three fishes. But they're about ready to learn the greatest lesson of their life. Jesus gives thanks for the lunch that was sacrificed by this child. And then he turns it over to the disciples and tells them to hand it out to people as much as they want. And the text doesn't explain at what point in the distribution process so the disciples are like, okay, I've just given way more than three fish away. I've just given way more than five loaves of bread away and I still got more in this basket that I'm carrying. The Bible doesn't say that, but what the Bible does tell us that people had their fill. Now, how many of you know that when people are eating a free meal, they tend to eat more? Right? Like when they're paying, they're like, let's get the small side salad and soup. But when you're paying, they're like, it's steak time today. People tend to eat more when they know the food is free and they didn't have to do anything for it. And it says that every person had their fill. Now, to top it off, Jesus tells them, and this was a a Jewish custom or tradition so that nothing was wasted. He tells them, now go back and collect all the leftovers. And we're not talking about, I ate part of the bread and I'm throwing it away. We're talking about they took and ate so much that they never even got to this portion of it. And Jesus tells them, go back and collect all of the leftovers, all the extra food that wasn't eating. And it said 12 baskets full. They start with three fishes and five loaves. That is not even nearly enough for one person, much less 15,000 persons. And now they have 12 baskets left over. God's blessing picks up where man's resources leaves off. When you've done all that you can do and when you give God all that you have, that's where God's blessing, that's where God's provision jumps in. See, it's not, well, I'll wait until I see God's provision. I'll wait until I see God's portion show up so I can trust that as I give the little I have that he's going to take care of me. God says, no, you need to trust me 
So give me what you have, and then you'll see my blessing and my provision. See, God's blessing picks up where man's resources leave off. You're never totally out when God is your portion and your provider. I have seen this truth play out so many times in my own life. There have been times where I've been at the end of my resources, and that's where I discovered the faithfulness of God. See, these moments are imprinted on my mind and my spirit, reminding me that no matter how scarce things become, God is faithful. Look what Psalm 73 says. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the, the, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My heart and my flesh may fail. I may look at my situation and my circumstances and be, ah, this is the end. God has let me down. My heart may fail me. My flesh may fail me, but God won't fail me. He's my portion forever. Psalm 119, the Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. God is my portion. God is the one who provides for me. Lamentations chapter 3. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Your situation may be hopeless, but when God's your portion, he's going to provide. And just in the miracle of 5,000 or 15, 20,000, as Jesus fed them, they gave all that they had to him and he filled in the rest. Now catch this. To bring this to a close and then receive an offering this morning. For the miracle to happen, the disciples had to give what they had. In order for this miracle to happen, there had to be some loaves and bread and, and fish to start with. Somebody had to say, well, I don't know if it's going to help, but here. I don't know if this is enough to meet this need, but Here. Somebody had to give what they had in order for God to give thanks for it, Jesus to give thanks for it and bless it. See, as long as we hold on to what we have, we may not see our miracle. As long as we hold on and say, I can't give because this is the very little I have left. Remember the widow, we've got just enough oil to make one last loaf of bread and then we're going to die. And the prophet Elisha said, no, 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 come on. Let's pray and give thanks to God for this. And that oil never ran out. She gave the very little she had and it never ran out. See, if you're going to hold on, you're not going to submit to God your time, your resources, your talents, your abilities. You're going to hold on because it's precious. You don't allow God to bless it. You don't allow God to multiply it. It's addition through submission. Or maybe in this case, better suited, it's multiplication through submission. When I give God the little I have, he does much greater than I could do keeping it to myself. See, giving to God what you have is a declaration to him that you're my provider. And I'm honoring you with what I have. So if you're facing this morning a problem without a solution... You're facing circumstances that continue to make the need seem more and more hopeless. You're never hopeless when you give that to God. 
when you surrender that to him and allow him to bless it. So let me ask you this morning in closing before we receive our offering and pray, what things are you holding on to this morning and not surrendering to God? Are there deadlines and demands that you need to surrender? What about doubt this morning? Do you need to surrender doubt to him or fear? Or maybe it's your obedience this morning. You're holding back and God's looking for your obedience this morning. If you give him that, he'll bless you with the things you're concerned with. Or maybe it's your resources this morning. See, whatever we hold on to, we lose. But whatever we surrender will return to us in more than one way. Amen?